What's up, guys? This is the ETC Podcast, and this week we have a, a guest who's you've been here a bunch of times. Yeah, we've had you on. The previously. viewers know Alicia <laughs> Malone. Alicia Malone, who has uh, no less than fifty separate jobs, uh, <laughs> analyzing uh, and reporting on film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today you have you wrote a book. I know, and it's funny because I've been here a couple of times before talking about summer movies or yeah. favorite movies of the year, but I'm actually more nervous because I'm talking about something that I did myself. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like, I mean, this is something you've been passionate about for a long time. Um, you actually, so you, the book, okay, I don't, let's do this in an in order that makes sense. The book is called Backwards and in Heels, mm-hmm. uh, and the subtitle is The Past, Present, and Future of Women Working in Film, and uh, you got put on a lot of people's maps in this uh, category in 2015 when you did a TEDx talk essentially about uh, female representation in film and, yep. you know, how to improve that. Um, so, yeah, this is something you've been interested in for a long time, in addition to just being one of the most knowledgeable people in film <laughs> out of the people we know. We know a lot of nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know a lot of people with... Uh, who can recite every line I mean, of Star we still Wars? Did but, uh, <laughs> we beat Alicia. We did and win. Scott yeah. did. on the trivia you show. Did. It but came down to math, but you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Obviously, not his strongest suit, but uh, yeah, he did very well. Uh, but, you, uh, you watched like I think last time you were in, you had you have a book that you you keep track of all the movies, all the movies, and you had watched. So like 600 movies last yeah, year or something like that? Yeah, 600 movies last year. And I am a nerd, just a nerd about different things. So I love independent films, classic films, yeah. and then very passionate about supporting women in film. So it's these things are things I've always been into. And I was really amazed when I came across one statistic, I think it was in 2012 from a study, which said that only out of, out of the top 100 films of that year, only 4% were directed by women. And I was like, that can't be the case, surely not. So I started delving into it more mm. and then I became more passionate about it. And then I'd start sort of speaking about it on the shows that I was on, which didn't always go down very well. <laughs> so did people like like people took issue with it or just yeah I never realized how do you argue against four percent being just absurdly low well I think just talking about women is a very controversial subject uh, especially when you're on shows that are very male dominated mm-hmm. and people get defensive about it and they think that you're you're saying there shouldn't be as many men which is the opposite of what I'm saying I just want more opportunities for women so I would say something and then you'd get the comments of like feminazi and all this stuff and then you get people supporting as well yeah uh, and so from there because I was started speaking about it more and more I got asked to do the TEDx talk in 2015 which is very basic talk just laying out all those issues yeah. but I still get tweets today from people who are surprised by all these statistics because I think, you know, the average film goer doesn't really think too much about it until you hear these statistics and then you go, wow, there is a big problem. So what was the process like going from something like, uh, you know, mentioning this stuff in a public way to a TED talk to kind of digging in and saying, I'm going to do a whole book about this. Yeah. Uh, what was that next step after TED? Like, what was the process like? Well, I'd always been wanting to write a book ever since I was young. Uh, it's been a secret goal of mine because I've just, I'm always nervous about my writing, even mm. though I've, I've written for film magazines and I've been published before, but this is the first time I've written a book. So it was actually through Chris Stuckman mm-hmm. because he had written his book and I told him, I said, you know, it's always been a secret dream of mine 
to write a book. And he said, well, you know, I'm happy to vouch for you. You know, the publishers are always looking for people. And so he did. And then they got into contact with me. They watched the TED talk. They started seeing all the stuff that I was doing and Twitter and, and all that stuff and how I would talk about this stuff all the time. So then they said, would you be interested in writing a book to explore this subject even further? And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to learn more myself. Mm-hmm. And really the start of this idea was I learned about the the first filmmakers in Hollywood and mm-hmm. how many women there were at, in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So before women could even vote, before white women could even vote in America, there were more female filmmakers working at the top of Hollywood than there are today. Wow. And that was like, what, how, when, why? And I wanted to know more. So that's when I really delved into it. Yeah, that, that early uh, history is fascinating so the you sent us uh three or four like sample chapters and is it one of the first ones is about this french woman whose name completely escapes (laughs) me but like she was one of the first filmmakers ever like turn of the century yeah uh like set up a french film studio in the u.s and then expanded outside of that like shot hundreds of movies i think that one's super interesting too because it's like oh here we need a demo to prove that this thing works and it's like hey great job keep doing it and yeah. Then yeah. took from a career that didn't even essentially exist built a career off of that exactly uh, what, what can you say about uh, her because that's a super interesting story yeah she was one of the the first people that i learned about her name's alice Guy blachet and so she was a secretary in paris working for this photography company and this is when motion picture cameras first came out and these photography companies were using them and they really were experimenting and most of the footage was just everyday stuff. So it was like factory workers leaving (laughs) for the day. Those early like Lumiere movies where it's just like, hey, (laughs) some people standing around. This is crazy. Exactly. So she saw one of the Lumiere brothers uh, exhibitions that they were doing to show off their new motion picture cameras and her boss got a motion picture camera and she was like could I could I give this a go for the weekend and just try it out she got her sister did this little short film called the cabbage fairy which is just this uh, this woman picking babies out of cabbages and you can see it on YouTube and she actually manhandles the babies I'm like are the babies okay it was a very different time but that became one of the first films ever in history to have a story and she really just wanted to show what this motion picture camera could do so she was really interesting I thought wow so one of the the first filmmaker in in cinematic history was a woman and one of the first directors ever Mm-hmm. was was a woman and that really changes your idea of who a director is mm-hmm. and then i go into other stories like margaret booth was the first woman to ever be titled film editor before that they were called cutters mm-hmm. but she gave so much to the story that irving thalberg one of the big producers realized that she actually shaped the story so mm-hmm. she was given that credit and then from there it was used in every single movie uh you have dorothy arzner who was the the only female filmmaker working in Hollywood in the 1930s. And she invented the boom microphone. Wow. Because were, I mean, I guess sound was new, but like, yeah. what were they doing before that? They would have to hide like, it. They'd have to hide it in furniture in proper, or yeah. in your costume. Yeah. And so the actors couldn't move. So when you look at some of the early sound films, people are just standing really awkwardly around a chair. Leaning into things yeah. weird. <laughs> exactly. And if yeah. you've seen Singing in the Rain, they make fun of that in yeah. such a great way too, where yeah. you have to kind of talk into one side of your costume. And so she had the idea of like, what if I put a microphone on a fishing pole 
and hold it above Clara Bow when she walks. And so she can move while she's walking. She doesn't have to worry about this microphone. And that was it. That was the boom microphone. So it's amazing. Did she actually use a fishing pole? Yeah. That's hilarious. Fishing pole, tied it to it, got someone to hold it. And then from there, it it's developed. It's a crazy idea, but it just might work. <laughs> <laughs> Built so out of necessity. To, wanted to pick all these stories. And so each, each section starts with just an overview of what was happening in film at the time, mm-hmm. the different technologies. And then I pick four or five stories from each era to talk about. And so we're obviously from the beginning of film in general, but what era do you go up to in this? Is it to the modern era? Yeah, to present day. So, and with present day section, I wanted to structure it by looking at all the different jobs and picking out a story or two from each uh, field and talk about them. So I got to interview some great people. I interviewed uh, Gina Davis uh, about her gender institute that she has mm-hmm. um america ferrera who does a lot of activism work mm-hmm. as well as acting ava duvernay who of course is, just mm-hmm. continues to break records she's amazing jj uh, abrams and paul feig to talk about the the men who really push forward women and are trying to increase diversity in film um, and then a female cinematographer who just finished on Black Panther, mm. oh. a female writer who wrote uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So a lot of these firsts, a lot of these women who did these amazing things. Yeah, and, and the timing of this is, uh, I mean, you couldn't have possibly yeah. predicted like <laughs> no. with Wonder Woman. Uh, the, the, the weirdest thing with Wonder Woman is just how surprised Hollywood is acting yeah, and this happens every like ten years or so. You mentioned like Thelma and Louise mm-hmm. in the book, where it's the same thing. It's like, oh, a movie about two women. Like people are actually going to go to the theaters, and it's like you're engaging a whole part of the audience that you generally ignore. Like that's great. We should do this more, and then they just don't. Yeah, and uh, like and Wonder Woman, like the next big surprise. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> wow. So wow. yeah, and it's it's like even like so Wonder Woman's been crazy successful. It, they basically unseated Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. who is usually you know box office magic and even like the day leading up to the movie's release like the hollywood reporter was like yeah. publishing just the <laughs> most idiotically like focused article about like can you believe warner brothers is trusting this huge historical franchise in the hands of a lady who's only made one movie and like I know. a yeah, lot of people clap back at like that. They're like, okay, uh, look at uh, Marvel, who has done this with numerous yeah. Yeah, <laughs> male directors. And that was what was funny about that. Is it's like, how could you not be like, like the direct competition mm. did that exact thing and it was successful. How could you be so blind as to draw, a comp- like not think that people would draw that comparison? It's the That's pattern the for all blockbusters. Is they they <laughs> yeah. find someone who did one, one or two thing. movies really well exactly. and they give them a budget. Yeah, I know. And I talk about that too in the book. You know, you talk about Colin Trevorrow who got the job for Jurassic World because Brad Bird was like, I know a guy who reminds me of me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you've got uh, John Voight Roberts who his Kings of Summer, great film, opened in 65 theatres and mm. then he got Skull yeah, Island yeah. worldwide. This happens all the time, but it never until Patty Jenkins has happened for a woman. Never. And it's because of that idea of it being a risk. 
And that yeah. is still something that perpetuates everything, the media and then the way Hollywood looks at it. And then they're surprised. It's always the, this is the exception to the rule that, wow, a female-led superhero movie directed by a woman can make money instead of becoming the rule. And not only that, be universally loved <laughs> it's by just both a good critics movie, and yeah. exactly. <laughs> compared to the good last film. two movies. Yeah, that I know. Were, and yeah. that's the thing. I got, I got some pushback on Twitter from people saying, well, it's, a gender doesn't make a movie. It's, it's a good movie or a bad movie. Sure. Or people saying, but Zack Snyder wrote it. I'm like, yeah, he did, but... You can tell it was made by a woman, can't you? It feels different. Yeah, well, yeah. The shot it, choices are different, and the handles, plot is formulaic, but it's it's completely different thing. Well, the the it, naked uh, Chris fresh. Pine scene, was yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It delivers the 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 feminist aspect of it in a way where it yeah it feels it feels like a movie by a woman, like, and it feels like something different. And yes, that's, that's the exciting thing. Well, because it, it focuses on like aspects of being a woman that aren't the first things your average man thinks of when you say like, oh, well, we're going to have a woman direct this. Like, oh, like, is she going to be emotional? Like, yeah. is she, all that kind of stuff <laughs> where like, it's more about how she's just kind of like, she has a, a set of morals and she's a way of looking at the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like the fact that they treated her as not naive because I think it would have been really easy for that character who's mm-hmm. coming into the world for the first time and seeing things for the first time to be like, whoa, what's that? Oh yeah. Gosh. But she was surprised and it was really sweet, but she's strong and intelligent in a way that we haven't seen a female superhero to be. And and just the different shots, like it's just all different when it's directed by a woman. And it's not to say it's necessarily always going to be better, but I just as a film lover, I want to see stories told by different people because it just makes better films, more interesting films. Yeah, and it, and it also it raises the question of like how many other talented like know, filmmakers are there out there who are not getting these kind of opportunities. Yeah, that's what I look at that as well as the idea of the pipeline because what they find is on average... Film school graduates are about 50-50, male, female. Yeah. And then from there, most often they, they both make indie films or short films. So anyone, regardless of gender, can get money together and you can make your own film and you might even go to Sundance and win awards. But when you have to step up and ask for financing for your next project or you go into Hollywood, that's where female directors get shut out. So, so often there's many female filmmakers who make one film independently and they can't move up from there. Mm-hmm. They just have to keep funding their own films, which seems really unfair. Because again, once they start to ask for money, it's like, oh, this is a risk. Risk giving this much money to a yeah, woman. What, what's she going to do? Is she going to she gonna cry all over the, <laughs> the camera? And, yeah, and like, like, can they be a strong director? But I don't necessarily think you have to be a loud leader to be a, a good director. Well, I, you know I think I mean? like, I mean, any position of leadership requires you to be assertive and, and, and strong yeah, in, a, in, a, in a sense. Um, like that's what's always struck me about people like Catherine Bigelow. Like she seems like, mm. she seems like she just doesn't take anyone's shit. Like yep. she has to be like tough as nails making yeah. these movies. And she's succeeded in very male dominated genres. Yeah. Films. Yeah. 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 Like with her, it almost feels like she, like her rejection of that is like so intense that she's almost subconsciously like shifted into making like very, very male focused yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. She's um, successful. So my, my question I guess is right now, especially with Patty Jenkins kind of getting rid of all that hesitation or at least chipping away at it. Mm-hmm. Who do you see coming up right now 
um, that would break through into like a blockbuster movie type uh, financial situation. Like, is there like two or three women that you would like to see take the reins of? It doesn't have to be a, a superhero movie, yeah. but you know, something that has a uh, big financial backing that could be great. Yeah, I think there's so many. There's so many talented female directors that I've seen at Sundance and I want to see more of. Um, one that always I, I want to see more from is um, she was the director of American Psycho, Mary Hannon. Oh, yeah. American Psycho. I mean, that's such an interesting film that yeah. shows that you're not just limited to rom-coms when you, you're a woman. And it's such a great comment on ego and business yeah. and... I mean, that's such a great performance too. So I'd love to see Mary Hannon get more more opportunities. Um, the director of Winter's Bone, uh, Deborah Granick, she's someone that- was that, a woman? Yeah. Oh, shit. So again, I very dark film, yeah. launched Jennifer Lawrence, mm -hmm. and she has not been able to get another film made. That movie was so good. That upsets me hearing that now. Yeah. Like, yeah. You got Lexi Alexander, who's someone who made Punisher and she's yeah. good with action. I want to see her get more opportunities. There's so many people that you just read about that's just one film and then that's it. That's all they got the chance yeah. to do. And Patty Jenkins, I mean, it took her 14 years yeah. to get a second feature film. This is only uh, her second movie. And her first one was like... Monster, it, yeah. It was a huge movie. Like, yeah. it, it won awards. It yep. was a pretty big deal. I mean, like, it pushed Charlize Theron's career over this edge where she was suddenly taken a lot more seriously as an actress. So it is like yeah. weirdly unfair that know, the director like of that kind of movie wouldn't exactly. get the same opportunity. And um, Gina Prince-Blythewood, I'm so glad she's apparently going to be doing one of the Sony Spider-Man oh, okay, cool. like yeah. spin-offs because she did Love and Basketball and then Beyond the Lights, which is a film that I really liked. It was a romantic film, but she she added so much to it that it was something completely different. Uh, and Jennifer Sue Nelson, who is the director, she's only worked in animation for Kung Fu Panda, but she's always wanted to direct an action film. And she was going to, and then the project fell apart. So I'm really hopeful that she gets her chance. Mm. About a... What's her name? Karen Kusama? Yeah, she's, she's great. great. The Invitation. Yeah, The Invitation, like, after seeing that, I'm like, let this woman direct whatever the hell she wants. Yeah, and she's <laughs> a rare woman working in horror. Yeah. We need more women in horror as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we did get, I tweeted out just asking for questions moments before, <laughs> and uh, got some pretty, like, enthusiastic responses. Oh, that's People nice. had sent in some multi-parters. Let's see. I like it. And I have to say, I was really blown away by the support on Twitter. You know, oh. I, I hadn't actually announced it yet, but people found it on pre-order and then they just spread the word. And I was like, wow, well, these people want to read my stuff. It's yeah. Great. yeah. <laughs> really nice. Alberto Menendez says, uh, anything you wanted to include in the book, but couldn't, uh, for example, not enough space, time limit, et cetera. Yeah. I wanted to include a chapter on critics because I think that's a really important subject when it comes to, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which obviously is just an aggregator and not yeah. the source of the problem. But in terms of how that affects box office and how yeah. that particularly affects box office for female-led films. And so I really wanted to talk to Jen Yamato from LA Times and sort of tell her story and then use that as a wider context to talk about critics. But I ran completely out of time to do that. So that's yeah, it, was, it seemed like it was a pretty like, uh, I, I don't know what Quick. the length is yeah. for, for book writing, but you were here in, I believe, December. Yeah. yeah. You're like, yeah, well, I think I have to get started like pretty soon. I don't uh -huh. know if you had 
had anything planned out by then. No. But so six months later, you have a book. It's crazy. It was really quick. And I wish I had longer to do it. I yeah. could have kept researching forever. But, I was researching so, while I was writing. Yeah, and, first, and you were also working yeah, like your, yeah, normal exactly. yeah, doing your normal job, job. Yeah. at this time. Like, was it hard to like just, you know, mentally like force yourself to yeah. sit down at the end of a day of talking and writing about movies, sit down and talk and write more it was, about movies? It was. I, I, had to, I had to spend every spare second doing it. It got to the point where I was really panicked and I did some all-nighters. Um, I'd write in between junkets. So I went on the Orient Express for Murder on the Orient Express, which is great, but mm. I spent oh, yeah, most yeah. of the time just going, I have to get this done. Mm. I'm so panicked. And I didn't go out at all. There was several days when I didn't leave the house. <laughs> yeah. I stopped eating. I mean, it was crazy. I had to kind of really focus everything on it. But now that's done, I'm really proud of it. Was there ever that first like precipice that you had to go over, uh, or did you know where, where, and when you wanted to no. start the book, and with what, or, or what was the thing that like, you're like, you had to overcome to like really flow into it? What was that experience like? Annoyingly, it was finishing the first draft mm -hmm. and then realizing oh, now I see a much better way to structure it. Because yeah. at first I wrote it just completely chronologically. So just going a chapter on the 80s and just just weaving in a lot of different people, a lot of different names. And it just became very much like a list. Mm. And I was like, this is not that interesting. And I'd consult friends and my writing teacher. And, and she was like, the, the best part is when you tell stories. Like, that's the most interesting part. So I got to the end of the first draft and then my light bulb went off and I was like, oh, yeah, I should just tell stories. Mm -hmm. So then I pretty much rewrote the whole thing in half the time. And spe speaking <laughs> of stories, like you're, the title of the book is a reference to Ginger a specific like thing. Could you explain that? Yeah. people who don't know. So there's a quote about Ginger Rogers, which said that she did everything that Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. And I thought that's such a great uh, sort of metaphor for women in Hollywood, that they have done everything, they've done amazing things, but they just had more obstacles to mm -hmm. overcome. So I thought that was just a good little overview. And I came up with that pretty quickly. And then it was just how to structure the, the whole book. And I wanted to spend more time on the future aspect but I kind of had addressed it as I spoke to people because obviously you're asking them about whether they're optimistic for the future and what they've got in store for the future. So it kind of almost took care of itself and I just did a little wrap up at the end. How much of like in your own bubble were you writing this? Like were you sharing it with friends as you went along or were you kind of isolating yourself? I was isolating myself <laughs> and I got so panicked and my friends were like, just send us, like, we'll yeah. give you notes. Just, and I was like, oh, that would be awesome. I didn't want to bother anyone, you yeah. know. And then I got to the point where I said, I really don't know if what I'm writing is any good because you spend so long just by yourself. So I enlisted my writing teacher. I said, can you read some chapters for me and give me some feedback? And then I had another uh, writing mentor who looked over every chapter for me and gave me some advice. But really every single word is my own. But I was just like, is this any good? And I'd send it to my friends who are not in film mm -hmm. to be like, is this interesting to you? Because I feel like it's getting a little boring. <laughs> she was like, no, this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, good. And with, with this book specifically, is it more geared towards um, women behind the scenes? Or do you have chapters and stories about the women that are appearing on screen as well? Both, yeah. I'd say probably more people in front of the camera when I talk about the, the past, oh, okay. some of the movie stars. And then and then when I came to the present, I tried to include as many behind the scenes people as I could. 
but I found it interesting to look at different stories and some people will will know already. So I've got a chapter on Marilyn Monroe and her story is pretty well known, but trying to use each story as a, as a symbol for a wider issue or a wider topic. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the Joan Crawford, Betty Davis thing. That was before Feud came oh, out. Yeah. But actually it's an interesting, I thought, should I take it out now that people know their story? But it actually is interesting to look at their story as an example of sexism and ageism and this competition between women. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to use it in that way. But there's Rita Hayworth's in there, Hattie McDaniel, who's the first African-American to win an Oscar, uh, Anna Mae Wong, who's the first Chinese American actress. Uh, that, okay, yeah, you sent us that chapter, and yeah, that the chapter that was, I mean, it was like everyone knows that like Hollywood was really fucking racist, <laughs> yeah. like in its early days, and I mean, and a lot of that still trickles down to where we are now. But like, I had no idea that like there were rules against like miscegenation. Yeah, even in film, like. So she could. She was allowed to be the love interest of a white guy under the condition that she had to like die or kill herself yes. at the end, and like not yeah. get to have his kids and just like weird shit like that. Exactly, and she couldn't even be a love interest of a white guy playing an Asian, which yeah. happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't want people to get the wrong idea. <laughs> it's so crazy, and and a lot of it's maddening, and then a lot of it you have to understand the context of the time as sure. well. But it, it does get frustrating, and so I chose her just to talk about the wider issue of how the Asian characters and actors were treated. The saddest part of that, of her story, is like she wanted to be an actress really badly. Mm. She took the few roles that were given to her and, mm-hmm. and played them well. Uh, and then pretty much all of China thought that she was basically giving them a bad name by playing all these like conniving women and like yeah, thieves and stuff. Ladies. So she was like, well, I'm not Chinese enough for China. I'm not American enough for America. Yeah, which I think happens a lot. Yeah. And I think still happens today um, that it's kind of, stuck in that well do you play the stereotype mm-hmm. and then have people of your your race or you know get angry at you for, for perpetuating that stereotype or do you just not work at all and that happened a lot in early hollywood people like dorothy dandridge i mean her story is really sad because she wanted to be an actress she wanted to be a star she wanted to be as famous as betty grable and marilyn monroe and she got a couple of opportunities but she did not want to play stereotypes so she would say no to so many things and then eventually she, that's all she got. So then she started just playing just the worst characters, yeah. slave characters, and it was sad. There's a yeah. lot of, uh, <laughs> it's and, so and it's depressing. like stuff that I, you know, I read uh, not extensively, but stories about uh, young actresses that are tragic in the sense that being used and abused by studios Mm. and it was always kind of swept under the rug and it's coming to light more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the exact name I was thinking for now, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. There was one that I read that was just like soul crushing. It was uh, was pretty bad. Like Rita Hayworth is really Mm -hmm. sad. Well, yeah, because she was like Mexican, right? Yeah, Mexican, (laughs) and they they did like hair removal and like skin bleaching. It's fucking crazy. Like I saw, you see the before and after pictures of her. It's it's nuts. Completely different, and just used and abused by people. 
Um, and so I thought like when I started doing all this and doing all the research and writing, it's like, God, my last chapter is just going to be all caps and yelling. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. like, why? This is so bad. But then I found a lot of optimism in the people I spoke to who are working behind the scenes to try to change everything. Mm. A lot of nonprofits, a lot of researchers and professors, and they all have a lot of optimism that things will change. So that gave me hope. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I know I am, but we just need to give you a quick word from this week's sponsoring advertiser, Harry's Father's Day is coming up real quick. And uh, let's be honest, dads are tough to shop for. But you know what almost every dad can appreciate? Practicality. Yeah. And a nice quality shave. Go to harrys.com slash etc, use the promo code etc, and at checkout you'll get $5 off one of their shave sets, including the limited edition Father's Day set, which comes in a storm gray razor handle, and it has the, the, the gel, a chrome razor stand, look at it, Oh, not touching anything. Bottom not, heavy. Yeah, very bottom heavy, uh, bunch of replacement blades, a little blade holder, and you know, it, it, it just comes in this very nice, sleek box. You're not gonna feel like you're giving your dad just some stuff you bought at the drugstore. This is a gift. Yeah, from from us and you. Yeah, it's perfect for It's gifting. a dual gift. Say hi to your dad for me Listen, when you give him this. I'm gonna need it real soon. This mustache isn't really working. I think it looks great. <laughs> I think it looks great too. <laughs> it won't grow on the bottom half though right here. It's That's the problem. It just needs to get long enough. We'll see. Anyways, dads, that's why I can't grow it. I'm not yeah. a father yet. You, you need to impregnate a woman. And <laughs> that's when the hair starts coming in. <laughs> Anyways, dads, they're practical too. And that's what makes this such a great gift, obviously. Harry's is all about a great shave at a great price with their 100% quality guarantee. They'll give you a full refund if you're not completely satisfied. Again, that's harrys.com slash etc, promo code etc. That'll get you $5 off a shave set, including the Father's Day set right here. The dad. Shipping is obviously gonna cost you extra depending on where you live. And then you've gotta act quick to order that Father's Day set in time for the actual holiday. So go to harrys.com slash etc, use promo code etc. Now. And pick up a new shave set for you or your dad. Now back to the podcast, get one for yourself. Yeah, you shave together with your dad, just like the old days. He'll teach you, my like, dad never taught me, didn't need to. Yeah, it's not, you can't really shower with your dad anymore, but you can shave together. Yeah moving from like actresses and directors to women that are involved in other processes in film. Like I think when you were talking earlier about um, editors, mm. the one that stands out for me was, uh, she's passed away now, but Tarantino's Sal uh, Sally Menke, yeah. which yeah. I didn't even realize how much she mattered to production or really didn't even think about that role when I was watching his films at a young age. Mm but she left such a imprint on those movies that it's 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 weird how much you can see the difference in one that she worked on versus one that she didn't yeah absolutely were there any uh uh, jobs like that that kind of yeah. stand out for you uh, throughout the history of film that like maybe I'm not even aware of even though I have watched most of most of these movies yeah I think that the editing that was a big one because of how many big films have been edited by women and of, often it's the the collaboration works really well between a male director and a female editor. You know, go Thelma Shoemaker, who mm. has worked with Martin Scorsese. Yeah, ever for since, a long time. Yeah, ever since they met at NYU and he couldn't get his short film to work and she said, give me a go at it. Mm -hmm. 
and then she edited it and then it was like, oh, yeah, you, you totally fixed that. And then from then on. And so he gets a lot of credit. Obviously, he's a genius, but she's also right there beside him making it happen. Um, and there were so many female editors who have contributed to like Wizard of Oz, um, E.T., uh, the recent Star Wars movies, like so many that have worked on these big action films. And you realize how much of a DNA they leave in the films, but mm-hmm. they don't get a lot of the, the limelight. Uh, I talked to Joy McMillan, who is now the first African-American woman to win Best Editing. She did Moonlight. Mm. So that just happened. So I spoke to her about... Uh, editing and she got into it because she was on a careers day and they went to Universal Studios and she saw a guy editing Animal Planet on mm. Avid and she's like, what's that? <laughs> and then he showed her a few tricks. She was like, I want to do that. And then she went to film school and that's where she met Barry Jenkins. Wow. And then from there she came to LA, started working in television and editing and he really took her from the editorial room to being a feature editor. On the, and that's what I find a lot is like there are these great male directors, producers who champion these women and if it weren't for them, they wouldn't get the big job. Cinematographer is one mm-hmm. that is extremely male dominated yeah. and it's hard for the women to get. Same thing as directors. They can work on so many indie features but they don't get that opportunity to step up to bigger films. But um, recently Ryan Coogler for Black Panther, he said, I'm not going to do it unless I take Rachel Morrison who had edited Fruitvale Station with him. And she, he was like, unless she comes, I'm not going to do this mm. film. And so if it wasn't for him, she wouldn't get that job. But mm. now she's the first female cinematographer for a Marvel movie, wow. which is cool. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> so there's a lot of like accomplishments and then like, oh, but why is it? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do you think that like, like what do you think is the, the solution? Mm. Obviously this, this, all this kind of change has to happen over time, but like uh, it's been a long time, though. It's, yeah, it's, it's been, been it's been a long time. So, like, I mean, where do you think it starts? Is it with people who are already established mm. uh, going further to like bring in people who like women minorities who don't yeah. usually have the opportunities? Um, I think so. I mean, it's it's such a chicken and egg kind of situation yeah. <laughs> because so JJ Abrams, what he does that's really great at Bad Robot is now whenever they're hiring a director, an editor, a writer, or even the cast, he says he wants the list that he's given from agencies or studios of potential people to reflect the world's population. So it should show this many women, you know, and mm. so you're never going to get a balanced list, but at least see other people rather than just the majority of the same names he would see over and over again. But then to get on those lists, like you have to have the relevant experience. And to get that experience, you need to. It's like you know, each the rung of the ladder is a exactly. new uh, challenge. But I spoke to Maria Geis, her story's in there. She's a filmmaker who had great promise, great early success out of film school and then found that she couldn't move up Mm -hmm. and she was really upset about it. So she went to the ACLU with her complaint and then the ACLU reached out to other female directors, did a lot of interviews with them to find out whether there was discrimination going on. Then they approached the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, the EEOC, 
with the actual case against all the studios. This is what's happening at the moment. And they can't comment on their current cases, but apparently they found enough evidence to charge all the studios. Maybe that will make them with actual discrimination. And maybe that will make them instill some kind of uh, ratio or diversity. And then you need the program to to mentor and to train people so yeah, they that there have to are come the available from pool of people. Yeah. So it's it's going to be an industry-wide problem and industry-wide solution, but there are all these things happening behind the scenes that make me hopeful and the level of conversation makes me hopeful because everyone's aware of it now mm-hmm. and I just don't think we can go back to what it was. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, – because there seems like a lot of parallels here uh, to – the tech industry where there's, yeah. I mean, hidden, hidden figures yeah. kind of blew that up uh, earlier this year. But yeah, it has a, a sort of similar history of like a few women standing out having like done something, but just the general vibe being like, this is a boy thing. Yeah, boys so, club. And that's why I wanted to tell all these stories of the earliest film directors, yeah. the earliest people, because it, it hasn't always been a boys club. So we, yeah. we can go back to that. Yeah, I mean, like, but I I think a lot of it, a lot of the stuff I've read about how this culture of male-dominated industries come about has a lot to do with young women, first off, not being encouraged to Mm. pursue it in the first place or being told that it's, it's a male thing, but also just, like, not getting instilled the, the confidence Mm -hmm. to, Push harder, yeah. Like not take no for an answer. Yeah, push themselves forward. Yeah, and it it comes down to a lot of just society. Yeah, it's, it's this is a microcosm of yeah. a much bigger. Like, thing. what does a leader look like? Well, so I talked to Dr. Stacey L. Smith, who does a lot of research uh, on all the the figures, and and then she does a lot of interviews to find out data. And and so she asked a bunch of people in the industry to describe a film director. And so they all described very male qualities, like Mm. like an army general or like, you know. And so it's that kind of, that thing, it's almost biased, but it just is in every part of society, right? You know, we see that with politics too. Yeah. And so it can get overwhelming and a bit depressing too, because there's there's women out there that really want to work. And they should just get the equal opportunity to. Yeah, and it's it's hard even if you are a woman. It's like, well, describe describe something mm-hmm. that you've only even seen men do. You're gonna yeah. think of a man. Yep. I mean, I used to <laughs> when I was young. I used to say I wanted to be a film director, and then I read a bunch of film history books, and I thought it's too hard. I can't do yeah. it because all the directors I knew were men, apart from Gillian Armstrong and Jane Campion. Everyone else was a guy and, and I was, you know, I, I was pretty shy. I didn't think that I could be a strong leader. So then I changed my my dream. But now I think my real, this job is a dream. Do <laughs> you yeah. have any aspirations to create something like that? Yeah, maybe, maybe in the down the track. Yeah. yeah. But I could see more kind of a documentary yeah, film. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I'm more into nonfiction than. Yeah, so, I mean, something like this could easily. I'm not good at coming up with characters. Yeah, this would translate perfectly well into a, a documentary. Do- yeah. And, Find the right footage, mm. which seems to be read, readily available on uh, YouTube anyway. Yeah, it is. It's all out there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. go for it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Got yeah, it. I can achieve my dream now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's a question from Neil Varma. He wants Hi, to know Neil. who's the book dedicated to? Uh, 
And also, mm -hmm. what did you find during research that most surprised you? Okay, well, the film is dedicated. The book. To, yeah, the book. <laughs> well, there, it, the will book, the it will book be a film. It will be a film. It will be a film. It is dedicated to my fellow film geeks. Okay, thank so you. So the idea, yeah. So <laughs> the idea being that um, you know having more women in film is it benefits us all, especially people who love movies. Mm. And so anyone who's passionate about movies will want this to change because it's just going to make movies much better for all of us to watch. And if you're a film geek, then you'll enjoy all the stories. Yeah. <laughs> so it's to my fellow film geeks. Um, and then what was the other question? Oh, Most surprised. surprising thing you learned. Most surprising thing. It, it was these early stories and it was that fact that before 1925, there were more female filmmakers working then than there are today. And there was another fact that said, so Universal Studios... Back in the day, they used to have, I think they had like 11 or 12 female filmmakers that they'd use constantly between 1905 and 1919, right? And then from 1920 to 1982, they didn't hire one female filmmaker. So that's how fast the change was. And that was a lot of factors, but the Great Depression, uh, it became more of a business, they thought, men are more business-minded, mm. brought in executives to run a studio. The talking pictures came out and not all directors were successful in the transition. And then a couple of those talkies, like the jazz singer made by the Warner Brothers, that was such a success that then that helped that studio grow. And a lot of the smaller studios that were run by women, so women ran a lot of movie studios themselves, but then they dropped off because they didn't have the finances and they couldn't get the banks to finance them. So it's just that sudden yeah. change was really surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, that's it was really quick. insane. And then, you know, a, and then a generation one, passes and you don't even remember that it happened. Yeah, and only one female filmmaker working in the 1930s. Well, that's like the thing, too, the is like you have executives and people that are in positions of power still, it's less and less today, but that are still uh, from the era, not, not the 20s, 30s or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but the 60s, 70s, and 80s who have a way of doing things and do what they know and... Mm -hmm. rarely teeter outside of that. Do you think that moving forward with uh, the women that are working in the industry now, as they potentially move into roles of administration mm -hmm. at these studios, do you think that that would uh, offer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because looking at the statistics of executives, mm -hmm. which I did as well, there, uh, you know, that there's not that many right at the top, but just underneath. Yeah. There are so they're many. Yeah. <laughs> they're waiting. They're Please ready. Retire. <laughs> ready to poised, ready and to take over. Yeah. And we saw that. So in the 1980s was when you first started seeing these female executives. Mm -hmm. Sherry Lansing was the first woman to run a film studio at that time in the 1980s. Since if, like uh, beforehand. Kennedy now. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, and you have seen with with more females moving up. I mean, it's not always the case. Sometimes they do play by the the same ideas, which is that, you know, female-led films can't make money, female directors can't direct action, all the stuff that Wonder Woman disproves. Yeah. Um, but then, but you do see more opportunities for, for women when executives move up. And I spoke to um, Amy Powell, who is, she works at Paramount and she has the digital division, Paramount, but she has a rule that she has a 50-50 uh, split in the office and so she said just makes it so much better because you can all talk about these things you get different perspectives and so I think there's going to be more and more like that and so I yeah. do have hope for that which is like like a rule like that there's definitely people especially in the internet now that would 
call that like sexism, but that is like, <laughs> if you're literally dividing the office 50-50 male-female, yeah. like that is the definition of equality. Equality, like, exactly. Seems like something most people should be able should to get want. behind. I know. And I never understand that, that mentality, mm-hmm. the kind of reverse sexism mentality. It just I don't, doesn't work. <laughs> the internet. Yeah. Well, it's a when a fun a, place we've all chosen to work in. Yeah. Yes. The internet. Yes. Where everyone gets a say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's sure a good did. one. Um, hipster Pop Geek. <laughs> all right. Says, uh, it. it's a two-parter. What books, if any, inspired you to write your own book? And if you could interview any actor, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, good ones. Uh, books that inspired me. I love the books by Mark Harris, and I'm definitely nowhere near the writer that he is. But he did Pictures at a Revolution recently, which talks about from the 1960s to the 70s in Hollywood and how the, the destruction of the production code brought mm. in this whole new wave of exciting directors, people like Martin Scorsese. That's really good. Yeah. He's so so good at, at writing. Uh, he also did Five Came Back, which is now oh, on yeah, Netflix. Oh, yeah, it's a Netflix documentary. Yeah, about the five directors who went to war. Uh, so he's great. And then, of course, Peter Biskind, who did uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and Down and Dirty Pictures. That book is nuts. It's great. So that's it's, all about 70s directors. Yeah. It's so interesting. I love it. And then I also love Rebels on the Backlot, which is by Sharon Waxman. And that's about 90s film directors. And my dad got me that book when I moved to to the U.S. And he wrote in it like, I hope you find, you know, you find your place in, in L.A. in the film industry and all that stuff. And so I would I read it and I thought it was really fascinating because it told these stories about Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh and David Fincher. So that was really inspiring. It's always interesting, too. And I think anyone with uh, that chooses a job in the entertainment industry, regardless of what it is. And regardless of your uh, your gender or whatever, uh, has parents that are initially worried. Yeah. Uh, were your parents oh, supportive yeah. of, of what you wanted to do or did they have a more traditional sense yeah, no. uh, for you? My <laughs> mom would have been really happy if I just went to university for something. Because <laughs> yeah. straight out of school, I was like, I'm moving from Canberra up to Sydney and I want to work in television. And she was like, oh, you don't know anyone there. How are you going to do that? And I was like, I'll figure it out. And then same when I moved to LA, she mm-hmm. was really worried. She's like, you don't have any savings. I mean, Your mom was she, more worried than your father? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah my dad was like, oh, you'll, you'll be fine. And, <laughs> it and is, my dad, it we is just talk very about far. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, Australia <laughs> really is far. so just far. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I don't know why I was so confident. Because I look back and I'm like, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't know a single person. In LA, but I was like, well, that's the I'm going to make about it. being young. Yeah. You, you exactly. don't care. Just like, and, I'm going to yeah. do it. I guess I thought I can always go back if it doesn't work out. Yeah. How long did it take you once you arrived to like get Only settled in? Only a couple in? of months, which was lucky. So yeah. there was a girl who yeah. was working for an Australian television station and she actually wanted to go back to Sydney and she had a contract that she was like, oh, maybe I can get out of it if I say, I've got to go back, but Alicia's here. She can do Take my, job. Nice. my job. And I was like, sure. Yeah. So then I started doing junkets and, and all oh, that wow. stuff for Australia. And then from there, I got to know other people and, and slowly grew. Um, and it's amazing now. I mean, and you guys, doing my dream job. You and Maude, like there is yeah. a little 
Aussie expat yeah. like community <laughs> there is. here in LA. The like, gum leaf mafia. Yeah, you guys seem to stick together. Yeah. So I was excited when she moved over. She moved over three years after me. And I, I was like, we, we knew each other, but not super well. But I was like, we're going to be best friends. And <laughs> here, I'll teach you everything that I made the mistake on the first time. Here's how you get a license. Here's how, you, you know. So we just became fast friends. And it's so nice to have her as like my support. And she was so supportive during this. I would send her chapters. She'd give me advice. She'd talk me through it. She'd be like, do you want me to drop off some coffee, some Red Bull tea? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys got over here before Donald Trump oh, yeah. closed the borders. Yeah. I got my Doors green shut. card, so I mean, <laughs> does that mean anything though? Who knows? I, I think for now, Who knows? You're, you're you're fine. But the other question, uh, I think I would interview Marilyn Monroe. She's someone that I was always fascinated by as a young girl. I used to watch her movies, and she was so glamorous. But then reading about her life and really sad. I mean, sexually abused. Um, she always wanted respect. Always wanted credibility. Worked with acting coaches didn't want to play the dumb blonde but that mm-hmm. was all she could do and all or she was given the opportunity to do so she was really fascinating to me the idea of like going from Norma Jean to creating herself as Marilyn Monroe and not many people know this but my last name is not actually Malone surprise twist I changed it to Malone because uh, I thought it sounded like someone who would m- be glamorous and be able to yeah. work in television straight out of school. I'm constantly surprised at, I mean, specifically out here, how many people would. Yeah. It's uh, it's very. And it was inspired oh, my name's by, real. No, it's not. <laughs> Everyone always thinks his last name is. I mean, it's, it was my mom's maiden name, but inspired by Marilyn that I could reinvent myself, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like it. It works. Now it's. Oh, I, you've just crushed all of my. Uh, <laughs> my trust in, in who you are. We so trusted right you. Yeah. All my friends from high school are like, did you get married? You know? <laughs> no. Yeah, I married, uh, uh, I can't Carl think Carl Malone. Yeah, Carl. Yeah, Carl Malone. <laughs> Sam Malone from Cheese. Yeah. Uh, oh God, someone did a, a four-part question. Mm. Well, one of them is just I-L-Y. Oh, so, uh, But, uh, let's see. Some of these have already been answered. Oh, okay. Here's one. His third question is: uh, Is this the writing and the public speaking at TED and other events where you thought you would end up? I think you've sort of answered yeah. that, but uh, I mean, it's something I've always been passionate about, but never thought that I would end up doing it. Now, I mean, it's something that I always wanted to write a book. But if you had told me when I was younger, or even just a couple of years ago, that you would be speaking at at events and I'd be like no no not me I'm too shy and quiet and I like to just stay at home and watch movies I don't like and anyone looking at me I guess I'll follow that up with my own question because like you 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 do occupy like your own sort of niche uh, among like all the people we know who kind of do this like when you showed up when you first started working in LA I'm sure you were covering just a lot of the, the carpets mm-hmm. and the junkets and stuff but all like you like how what was the process of transitioning into like kind of like more serious critique mm. and and covering the indie festivals and and, and the more i guess the smarter side of <laughs> movies Not necessarily but the 10 things you missed in the spider-man <laughs> yeah. trailer yeah. i always i always did watch i, I you know i used to collect the criteria movies i always yeah. watch foreign films and all that but yeah when i moved over here i was just doing everything and i found it so exciting i get i get really excited about red carpets i get excited about going to comic-con 
now it just seems like the worst thing ever. We've skipped <laughs> yeah, no, two we, years we, in a row. Uh, we're skipping this year. <laughs> uh, like, no sadness. Personal choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um. I loved all that stuff. But And then I started my first sort of big American job was working for AMC Movie mm-hmm. Talk. And it was when I was there that I realized how much I didn't know about all this stuff because all of those guys had grown up reading comic books. They knew all about these superheroes. And then I realized how much we'd had to talk about it and how every day it was a speculation on who played what, and and I just felt so out of place. I would have to do so much research. Yeah. It's very easy to own. fake. We did it for a long time. We just <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia. Just yeah, I did. I faked it for a while, and then because people then would get annoyed at me if I said I haven't read the comic book. I don't oh, know if this you're is true. You're pretending to be a nerd. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, actually, I'm not, sort of. I'm not really <laughs> a nerd, and so I tried, and for a while there, I was like, you know, I'm just not. It's just not what I want to do and it's not what interests me. And I would take myself to the film festivals. I once went to Sundance and I had 25 cents in the bank, (laughs) but I was determined to go and I slept on someone's floor. I found there was this free veggie burger promotion that Morningstar had. So I would eat there for lunch and dinner, try and wear a different hat and be like, oh, what's this? This (laughs) Hello, put a mustache on. (laughs) Mm, Delicious. Don't Um, mind if I do. And recently you you just started working. Well, I guess it's been uh, a little while now, but uh, you're working with Filmstruck, which is uh, just explain what it is. And then because it seems like it's. Your dream job, kind Absolutely. of. So uh, tell everyone about that. And yeah, yeah, it is my dream job, quite literally. So it's a new streaming service created by Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection. It's the home of the Criterion Collection. And it's a cinephile's dream. So they really delve into foreign films, art house films, indie films, cult classics. And I always wanted to do that kind of so in Australia we had a guy called Bill Collins and he would introduce the late night classic Mm. movies Mm. and so when I would watch the movies I'd watch his intros and I'd often record them and then just practice them (laughs) not thinking that I was going to do that but just I enjoyed them Mm -hmm. and then when I moved over here and I didn't have any friends I would stay at home and my roommate at the time had cable so I'd watch TCM And I'd put it on the background and I'd see Robert Osborne doing his intros. And so I'm sort of a big goal setter. So one day I got out my notebook and I wrote, goal, work with Turner Classic Movies. But I didn't know how it would happen Mm -hmm. or or what would go on. And then when I was doing profiles with Scott Mance at AfterBuzz, the head of AfterBuzz, he used to do these one-on-one sessions where he'd ask you what you want to do, what's your dream job? And I said, work with Turner Classic Movies. And he said, I actually know the head of talent there if you want I can oh. do send a show reel on and I was I was excited but I was like I'm not ready yet I'm too scared this mm-hmm. is not right so it took another year or so till I actually wrote him the email yeah. sent the show reel happened to be at the time that they were looking for people for Filmstruck so that was perfect had coffee with the head of talent she was asking me about my favorite directors I was talking about the classic films but also a lot of foreign films so she was like oh this could work then she said we're doing this thing super confidential come to Atlanta and do an audition. And I went there and they had outside the makeup room, they had a sign with my name and the TCM logo. (laughs) And I said like, can I take a photo? (laughs) (laughs) This is super dorky, but I felt like if I hadn't, even if I didn't get the job, I'd kind of ticked off my goal in a Mm -hmm. really crazy way. Then I got this job, which is great. I mean, I have no idea how many people watched intros. Maybe they don't, it's an extra option. But I love it. I go down to Atlanta once a month. I record 40 intros to these these films that I'm learning so much watching them myself. Uh, and it's just a dream job. 
How long are these intros like? Per About a minute film? thirty, yeah. and they're all on teleprompter. But I write the scripts yeah. as well. With the, they're writers, and then I rewrite them in my own words. Try and watch as many of the films as I can. Do a lot of research mm. so that I can feel like I can deliver it with some sort of expertise. <laughs> but really, I just see myself as a, a fan of these movies, and that's always been my goal: is like make them feel accessible to people who are daunted by them. Yeah. You know, like and- the good stories. I think the most uh, honest question I have for you is how the hell do you have time to watch (laughs) all of the movies, Uh, not just the classic movies, but the movies that you report on and then go to work and then write a book. And I don't uh, have a social life. That's my problem. Actually trying to thinking of ideas for a hobby. I need to get a hobby because all I do is watch films and talk about films, which I love. And whenever I get a spare night, I don't think I should see one of my friends and go out for dinner. I think like, what movie can I watch tonight? Yeah. And then I think I need to find something else. So maybe I'm going to take up dance. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Some, something outside of film. but Documentary I, making. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I need to find the balance a little bit more, to be honest, uh, because that's all I spend my time doing. Yeah. So yeah, watching on the planes as soon as I get home <laughs> as much as I can. Movies all day. Yeah. Movies all day and all night. Well, thank you so much for coming in and uh, again and, and talking about this new book. And uh, enlightening thank you. us. Yeah. No, and uh, I'm helping so us get woke. Grateful This is the reasonable the reason level the of woke. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, well, I knew of, of, of female directors and obviously important people in the industry, but the stories behind a lot mm. of the stuff you don't hear about is obviously very interesting, and I think a lot of people will be into it. Uh, yeah. When does the... Okay book officially come out because you can pre-order it now we'll put links down in the description thank you no I'm really grateful to you guys for giving me this chance to talk about it Mm -hmm. it's really exciting Um, comes out on August the 1st Mm -hmm. and so it's available worldwide it's going to be in bookstores as well as online you know on Amazon uh, Books A Million Indie Bound whatever wherever you go to buy your books it should be there so uh, yeah pre-order now are you going to record an audio book I really want to I want to. I think oh. that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm badgering my publisher saying, Can I? He was like, Let's see how the sales go. Yeah. I said, but it would be really cool. They have to listen let to you it read in it the though. car. You should yeah, do exactly. a director's commentary to, to your book <laughs> yeah. instead of instead of just reading it. Exactly. I'll say I was writing this at three AM in the morning. I had about five coffees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My friends had forgotten me by this point. Um, and yeah, so they can find you on Filmstruck. Yep. Um, Filmstruck, Fandango, Fandango, occasionally on Screen Junkies, and then on Twitter at Alicia Malone. Yeah. And my YouTube movies are my jam. That's right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so yeah. much for Thanks joining so us thank again. You. And uh, we'll have you on again soon and uh, pester you about indie movies that are coming out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that'll be fun. Well, okay. What do you? Uh, what do you? What's coming out soon that you're? most well, stoked about yeah summertime indie yeah, yeah summertime indies well if you haven't seen it comes at night which just recently is came really, out really looks, good the trailers have been vague I is know. that a good thing it's very it's, it, it's, it's an ambiguous movie but it's okay. a good thing that doesn't give away yeah. too much in the trailer really really liked that one I also loved uh, the film I saw in Cannes called Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I think will come out later this year, but that is the new one by the director of The Lobster, which oh, I okay. personally okay. loved. Yeah. So it's weird. very dark, <laughs> yeah. very, dark, weird very dark. weird, but I loved it. So look out for those. There's so many coming though. Even like Baby Driver, which is not an I'm indie, but it's, it's super cool. Original. Yeah. It's too fun to be an indie. Did you yeah. see uh, Atomic Blonde yet? Yeah, Did that's you like fun. That? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm really excited for that as well. Yeah. yeah. It's great. 
Awesome. Chalet. Well, well, great. Until next time, Alicia. Thank buy you. the book. Buy, you can go on and pre-order it. Yeah. Thank Digital, you so much. paperback. Mm-hmm. You have to sign a copy for us. Yeah, I will, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks. Bye.